Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. And a good morning to you all. David McLean here. We're on Published or Not 3CR. Jan is on holiday. She is overseas. So I am here with my author. And it's a particular um, delight to have this author in today. But let me start with a bit of a background. Houses have an existence beyond the bricks, the beams and the mortar. Those that live in them add to the atmosphere that inhabits a house. My guest today, Lisa Gorton, introduces us to a handful of people whose lives are indelibly played out against the backdrop of certain rooms, houses and communities within her novel, The Life of Houses. So Lisa, welcome to 3CR. Thanks for having me, David. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. The concept here of houses, if I can say this, it's a bit of a literary conceit, if I can put it that way. What have you done what have you tried to achieve here with the houses? Well, I don't. I've, in a way, tried to think of the book as a house itself, so that when you enter into it, into the book, it's as though you're in an, a, an imaginative world. And it seems to me houses are like that. They can close in ghosts and memories and feelings that we have. So um, I suppose in this, I was not really interested in what houses say about us, but in how they speak to us. And um, I was trying to draw that out in terms of the descriptions in the book, but also in terms of the plot and and the way the characters um, interact with the places around them. Because it's not just houses themselves. I mean, a community is a house in many ways, where we become comfortable, where we know where the light switches are, that sort of thing. It's sort of that notion of a house, that's why I said literary conceit, is, is much broader in many ways. Well, that's right, and um, the novel has a s- story of people um, fighting over property and, and sort of feeling a deep sense of possession, and I was really interested in that, particularly in an Australian context where, you know, dispossession is the, the dispossession at the, at the beginning of white Australia's story is, is still so present. And so I was interested in, um, in this drama of, um, people heard about possessions, which in a way were stolen from the start. So I was sort of trying to um, investigate what it is that makes people feel a sense of possession, what machinery in their thinking makes them feel that they own something. Let's go back a little bit. We haven't introduced the characters. I still want to explore this notion of houses. I'm just going to read uh, a little bit um, from Chapter 5. Peter slipped off his shoes. They were both too conscious of what it meant, his coming to the house, Stepping forward, Anna closed the door, cutting short the sweep of headlights, the warm-sounding rush of a passing car. He stood in his socked feet inside the house, and what she felt was how much of her home he stood outside of still. Brick, painted walls, floorboards and glass. Now he was here, and all that she had come to think of as belonging to the house itself she had to acknowledge lived in her only. Now he was here, here... She realised the meaning of her betrayal. Her own movements about the house felt strange to her. On her own, she could find the light switches in the dark. She would have had to concentrate to be able to tell him where those switches were. She was 
suddenly conscious of the walls, their concealed infrastructure of struts and pipes, wires fed out to the power grid. What we have here, Anna and Peter, they're having a bit of an affair, but what's interesting is then Anna bringing Peter, her lover, into her home. And the it's the disruption, not necessarily of the uh, sort of betrayal of her husband, but of the unity in the house. That's right. She's been conducting this affair, and I think in a way what she's sought through that is a sort of privacy, a secrecy, a place in which she is apart from that um, relationship built up with things and places and people. So she was seeking, in a way, freedom. And um, then the affair reaches another stage where he comes into the house, and suddenly it's it's a dream world brought into a day-to-day world. And I was very interested in in the kinds of tensions that might create for the characters because she feels that she's not so much betraying the house as betraying the life that she has built up with her daughter and her husband in that house so that she feels haunted by these other people in her lives. Because the other people in your lives are not just their physical presence. It's in that familiarity of how you walk around the house. I mean, there's one scene there where she picks up after her daughter because she can, she knows where Kit, her daughter, has been because of the trail through the house. But it's that familiarity of someone's presence, uh, a smell, uh, just being able to turn on the light switch, you know where it is, you don't have to explain it to anyone. Um, Whereas when you've got a stranger in your house, it's sort of a violation in many ways. Yes, and you have this very intuitive relationship to things that's built into your gestures and your physical sense of where you are. And so that in a way what gets shocked by a stranger visiting is is that connection you have with your own sort of dream life and your gestures. But I was interested in how that house served as a sort of focus for that family's togetherness, but also how Anna's um, parents live in a house which has served as a as a divisive force in their lives. Well, it's uh, this house, the uh, Anna's family home, uh, has a role to play uh, in in in. I can't even get my teeth together in inheritance. Um, there's that. But also then that concept of houses also, I think, extends to community where that familiarity with what's going on around you sort of shapes and frames walls as well. So you have other houses, so to speak. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, we'll get on to that, at the community they go to. That was the other thing then, uh, the notion towards the end where Kit has her phone and I'm sort of looking at the phone as a house. Would I be right there in terms of she looks and picks up her phone? Let me read that. Um, Checking her pockets, she realised that she had left her phone on the sofa in the family room. She had a strange feeling that it was her life left there. Pictures she could scroll through, she could go home, she could walk back into it, breakfast and a shower and her uniform and the train to school. It's almost as if our lives are now in our phones. Our home is in our phones. Yes, I wanted that sense that in a way she's left her her familiar life behind there. She's gone back to the house where her mother grew up. So in a way, she's seeing her mother as a child haunting where she is. But in another sense, because she gives so much validity to that, she's like a ghost haunting her mother's past. There's a very sort of um, strong sense I wanted to trace of people haunting each other's lives. And um, 
And in a number of places in the book, she's out of range. And I wanted to give that sense that um, we can have when we're um, just at the start of adolescence, when the future is is um, at least as present as the as the, as the life as the past and the life we have. And so she's sort of she could walk out of the life that she has into something quite different. Right. Because real, to set the backdrop in many ways, the simple storyline is Anna um, is having an affair. Kit has gone to uh, her grandparents' house in another community on a holiday, uh, etc. But yes, it brings back then... Well, Kit has the opportunity then of... Um, investigating, exploring her mother's past or a little bit of it and there's a sort of awakening there about uh, what her mother did because her mother's estranged from her grandparents. Yeah. Yes, that's right. And in a way, there's a kind of... there. Are, I wanted to set up parallels in the book. So in a way, just as Kit can hold her familiar life in her phone and scroll through it and think that she could leave the phone behind and in a, and in fact does lose the phone at one point so her mother at one point decided that she wanted a future quite apart from the house and the sense of inheritance and legacy that other people had planned for her so there's a sense in which they parallel each other and even the things that annoy them about each other are the things that they also have in common yes yes and you can't escape the common life you've led regardless of whether you agree or disagree well this gets us then to the characters. We've sort of gone about this uh, lopsided in a, in a way um, and we've half introduced these characters already. Anna uh, is the mother and she's carrying on an affair. But again, the way you describe this, uh, really, she's meeting Peter um, and uh, it's on uh, page three. Um, coming here, she had walked upstairs to a different season. She's meeting Peter in a, a restaurant. The room's wallpaper, even plum-coloured and embossed with a climbing pattern of vines, ornate, decorative. It was not usually a style she could tolerate, and yet they met here always. She insisted on it, a world away from her own taste. So... I'm having an affair, but I'd better meet in an environment that's uncomfortable in many ways. Yes, because in a way what she wants is freedom. I suppose all, um, I should say I was working on this book for years um, alongside a poetry collection that I was doing that is also about houses. So I was very interested in, I suppose, the imaginative structures that we set up. Um, and that's that's something you can create in a poetry collection where a stanza is an Italian word for a room and so you could be walking people through the collection and moving them through the through the book itself as though through rooms and halls and corridors. And they were a set of images that I played around with quite a lot. And they have fared into this book too, except that I've tried to realise it and make it dramatic in the... Um, in the novel. So she's in a way trying to find a different style or a freedom or a place apart. But, um, um, and, and the places that she finds are uncomfortable for that reason. But Anna's estranged from her own parents, um, and she's, she'd at one stage, well, become, or went to art school, but where did she go from there? She went, um, so she went overseas, um, to London and in a way I was playing around with the idea of a mother country and how each mother becomes a sort of country and, and, and she's gone there um, and come back to Australia and began 
and established a gallery of indigenous art and the, her husband was English. So at the beginning of the book, he has gone back to see his mother in the mother country. All the time I was playing around, I suppose, with um, how free we can be of our past. How, how can we leave it behind? And if we can't leave it behind, why can't we leave it behind? But there's also a little of Anna's past, and we won't let the, re- uh, the listener know this uh, entirely, uh, in terms of how Anna was able to uh, afford accommodation in London as well. So that comes out as well, uh, and how she has lived her life, um, and how she's currently leading her life, which Kit, her daughter, doesn't know about. Uh, which leads us on to uh, Kit, uh, who's gone back to the grandparents' place. And um, there's a recollection that Kit has of... Um, seeing the family home when she was a little child and her uh, aunt Treen says to her do you remember any of it not really as soon as she spoke kit remembered stepping out from a room where she had been sleeping into an unlit hall the door handle had been at eye level ceramic with a painted wreath of blue roses light from her room had angled across dark floorboards a strip of carpet and met absolute darkness the memory still held a sense of terror the house grown vast dark halls opening endlessly out she had no memory of her aunt at all a child's perspective that's right and actually in a sense the house in this book is not is is based on a house that i visited as a child which was a house um which someone related to my mother owned and i if I went back to the house now, it would not look like the house in this book. It's not the house as it is. It's the house as I remembered it. And I remembered um, almost a feel a tangible sense of history in that house. And we were told that it was haunted. And I did believe that. And in a way, over years, that became a kind of image for the way Australia's is, history is haunted by its violence. And we have this set of possessions that we that we build up that make us feel that we possess the place. But um, but that's a sort of inward machinery we've created, and we don't um, and we're also haunted, I think, by the fact that it's not truly ours. And also our perspective of it changes, just like uh, kit, and like any child, you go into an environment, the angle, everything you see from a totally different perspective when you've got um, that space um, and the maturity, uh, you can look at it again and it's totally different but we carry that sense with us all the time yeah it's really almost impossible to believe for me for instance that my grandparents house has gone the these houses sort of stay in our memory and when we imagine a time we see a place sometimes and so they get intimately connected and it's so I was interested I suppose in how memory works as a set of rooms in our mind which we move around in even as we walk around in our day-to-day lives in other places and so you're always inside and outside the place you're in. But that memory is sort of a a constant it doesn't change whereas things change over time if that makes sense. Yes yeah, yeah yeah. So as an adult we wouldn't look at that thing the same way and yet we carry that memory when from when we were a child yeah interesting yeah. other characters uh, patrick and audrey so those are uh, anna's parents uh, you were talking before about a community as a house and patrick and audrey have lived in that um, big crumbling house 
for most of their lives, for all of Audrey's life, she's lived there. And in a way, the community has changed around them and they've hardly noticed, um, except through a sense of defensiveness or insularity which they've built up. Um, I enjoyed describing Audrey and Patrick. <laughs> well, you've, you've got the paint holding the house up because the termites have got to the inward uh, inner um, wood. Uh, and so, yes, the the structure is there but internally it's it's crumbling uh etc um you're on 3cr this is published or not and i'm talking to lisa gordon about the life of houses i want to get on to an interesting character scott because he inhabits the community but he's not necessarily part of the community what can you tell me about him Scott was Anna's close friend when Anna was growing up, and he was very influential in her life. Um, they had a sort of the the intimacy of outsiders uh, um, in a community who come together, and so they're very theatrical for each other at that time. And he is the one who gives her the idea to go to art school. And after that, she has more success than he does. Um, but he feels... In a way, she's had the future that he missed out on because he's, stay, he's had to return to the town to look after his parents when they were ageing. And so he sees Anna, in a way, as representing the future that he didn't have. And, um, and he meets Anna's daughter and he sees Anna again in her. And so in a way, he is trying to discover also his childhood again with Anna. And so... For Kit, he also represents another way of seeing her mother because I think um, it's very hard to imagine a time when your mother lived not as a mother. Mothers have that symbolic role, involuntarily really. And so for Kit, Scott is a way to discover her mother as a child. And so he plays a role um, in that relationship between Kit and Anna even though they are not together, they meet, in a sense, in their past and future through him. Yeah, it's a way of discovering uh, what your mother was like when your mother was your age, so to speak. Um, but uh, there's Scott running art classes mm. for women that don't really have any feeling for art. It's, it's a frustration for him. Yes, I have a lot of empathy for Scott. I think it's a um, it's a hard life he's undertaken and he's tried to do so um, with a sort of boldness and flamboyance. But the community has a certain suspicion of him because he doesn't really um, he doesn't really fit in. Fit in. He doesn't share the same set of imaginative references. I guess you would say he's also uh, the son of tradespeople uh, rather than from inherited wealth, so to speak. Well, that's right, and there's, there are a number of people who are one way or another trying to leave their past behind. So he's um, he's gone back to look after his parents, but these are parents who never really believed in the future that he chose for himself. Mm. The person Anna's having an affair with has also, in a way, left his past behind and tried to create a different future for himself. Um, so, yes, Scott doesn't um, easily fit into any of those um, structures that the community sets up, but he's also a very important figure for a number of people um, mm. in the book. But what you've also done is there's um, there's a number of light switches in the community that we've got to find. There's a reference to a funeral, 
and we don't know who has died, but it's significant. And then we discover that Scott may have had um, a connection mm. with that death, um, etc. And Scott becomes the subject of uh, suspicion and doubt um, about his very nature um, and such like. So much so that he's almost being excluded from the community. That's right. Scott is an artist and he draws people. He takes pictures of people. And he actually um, takes pictures, uh, sketches, kit. Um, And I was really interested in a way in that relationship, whether or not it's sexualized, that relationship when someone is saying, I will tell you what you look like. Mm. And in a way, this is a book where the style itself is meant to create a sort of tension between how your life feels for yourself and how it appears to other people. So it's told very much within people's points of view, um, within Anna's point of view, alternating with Kit's point of view. And so what I hoped to show was how their lives felt for themselves, felt to themselves, and how different that was from another person. Their life was from another person's mm. point of view, and. Um, in a way, I felt that a portrait um, dramatizes that scenario where someone's saying, I will tell you what you look like, and you're wondering, well, how much should that shape my life? And I was particularly interested in that portrait making of a child because I think when you make a portrait of someone, that portrait can survive them. And so I was interested in a way in the kind of power that that portrayal of someone could have, that outside portrayal of someone could have on their inward life after that. Hmm. You've also got, um, yeah, that people are almost painting a sketch of Scott Mm. in many ways, casting onto him their suspicions, their doubts. Um, As you say, is it a a sexualization? Because all of a sudden he's been helping Kit, Mm. but is there something untoward happening? Well, um, it's only in the minds of others in the community, in his own house, so to speak. Yes, that's right. And I think all these tensions exist and these powers exist. And sometimes um, when people respond to them, in a way they're trying to simplify them into a sexual relationship. There's a sort of um, attempt to narrow down what is, whatever happens, anyway, a complex relationship that they are working out. Mm. The other thing um, about this book then is the uh, style, if we can go into that. Um, It's been described as Baroque in many ways. It fits in with your identity, if we can paint you into a room, etc., as a poet, because you are an award-winning poet. Um, But if I can just give the listener an indication, Kit lay rigid under the covers, listening to their morning. Someone was having a shower, Miranda's father maybe, or her brother. Carol and Miranda had already showered. They were talking in the kitchen. Carol was making coffee. Her voice sounded out sharply over the whir of the machine. Somewhere a door slammed. How long could she stay pretending to be asleep? People sleep till ten, she told herself. 
and looked at her watch, just seven, hours to go through, hours and hours. She turned on her side, pulled Carol's eucalyptus-scented sheets over her head. At once the memory of last night's drive from the hospital poured into her. Even while it was happening, it had been weightless, which brought it closer now, a dream happening again, the headlights of Scott's car making a narrow world as though inventing it out of the dark. Over the cattle grid, along the overgrown drive, her grandparents' house, Scott telling her not to forget her toothbrush, saying, Do you want me to come in with you while he kept the engine running? You've got sight, sound, smell. It's all happening. (laughs) How would you describe your style? Uh, That's a really tough question, isn't it? In a way, I'd have to resort to how other people describe it. What I was trying to do was create an intense sense of place. I could say that. Um, in a way, I I have a sense of the sort of classic Australian story as a story of men in a landscape um, doing things. And I never felt at home with those stories. And so in a way, what I've tried to do is turn that inside out by trying to give... Um, tell in a way what's a very traditional story of inheritance and property and disputes over property. But I've tried to tell it from a woman's point of view and from a very inward point of view with a very intense and emotional sense of place. And I wanted to give a sense of the past flickering in and out of people's present all the time. So with the writing, I wanted to feel free to move back into their memories um, and then into their sense perceptions and so on. I suppose I was... um, Deep influenced by Virginia Woolf, whose style um, I like very much, and um, a whole group of um, female modernist writers. And I wanted to find that kind of inwardness in Australian place, in summer, in a house by the sea. Because in, in terms of inheritance, it's not so much about uh, the wealth, the money associated with the property. There is reference to that building apartments or whatever. But in some ways, the inheritance, uh, and is this then the female perspective, the memories, the attachment, the association? That's right. It's not, it's, it's not a house they can easily translate into money unless they knock it down and sell the place. They're not... Uh, some of the reviews have portrayed them as, as rich people. They're not particularly rich. They're just people who have um, uh, an overdeveloped sense of their own history. Uh, they've taken history itself to be a kind of self-importance. So in a way, I was interested in a family that had a sense of its own decline and for that reason was quite interested in perpetuating the past. Yeah, um, but we often see, you know, the the past as as the money, you know, the inheritance, mm-hmm. and we see it in dollar terms. Yeah. But it's not necessarily. Well, they could translate it into that. I mean, I'm interested in how property can be this emotional force, but how also it can be turned into money. Uh, <laughs> Well, yes. I mean, all 3CR has to do is look next door and see what's happening to uh, to properties next door. The story ends, and we've only got a few short minutes left, um, with um, Kit um, looking at a sketch Scott has done of her. She pulled Scott's picture out of it, on her cheek still the pressure of his hand. Last night in the bathroom she had checked the picture, again this morning before she shoved it in with her toothbrush and hairbrush, undies and socks rolled up in a T-shirt. Now, though, 
she saw the picture in full daylight. The lake, opening out from a curved line, was there. The scrawny plants on the water's edge, the tree she had put her back against, was there. And there she was, close-shaded, her hair unbrushed. The way he had done her eyes showed that she was facing into the light, smaller, more coherent, prettier than she was. The eyes were wrong, flattening the picture out on her knees. What Kit saw all at once, with certainty and impersonal happiness, was that it was not like her. It was not like her at all. What are you getting at here? I'm trying to get at her freedom, finally. I think that children ought be free of the histories we try to place um, try to have them carry forward for us and they ought to be free of the um, of the pictures we try to make of them. So I was trying to give Kit her future there. Trying to give Kit her future, but in terms of how others see us, uh, whether she appreciated, was it a, a, a truthful portrait or how somebody else saw her? It's sort of, I saw an, a, a sense of ambiguity in that ending. Well, I think the ambiguity is in the ending in that so many people have been trapped by the past of this house and Kit will inherit it. And so she will have to deal with the same sets of pressures and questions that it has imposed on, on every character so far. But I also wanted to, her to have a sense that other people's perceptions of her did not finally define her. So that, uh, that, she could, that she could take as true her own perception of herself. And a modern, independent woman, then, you know, yeah. to move forward. The book we've been discussing is The Life of Houses. The author is Lisa Gordon, and um, it's a Giramondo uh, publishing release. Lisa, thank you very much for coming in today. Thank you very much for having me.